I decided to to put newspaper on the floor in the kitchen and glass this board and uh, oh my gosh that was uh, that was a, a bit of a mess <laughs> a mess um, the board the, the board. Hello and welcome to the UK Surf Show. We are your hosts. I'm Pete. And I'm Mitch. I'm trying not to laugh. Yeah. Do <laughs> you know why he's trying not to laugh? Yeah, because because Mitch starts mouthing the words that I say as I'm saying it and it's really off-putting and this is about the fifth time we've had to record it. <laughs> but it pleases me, so we're going to do it. And on today's show, I'm really stoked about yeah. this one. We've got Mr. Brad Rochford, who you may have Amazing. heard of. For a few reasons, one through the amazing surfboards that Brad makes, Rochefort Customs, and two, he is the UK rep for FCS, for Gorilla, and for Softec surfboards. And he's yeah. an insanely, I mean, you're going to hear throughout, I think he is the nicest man in surfing. I think he's the nicest man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I wouldn't disagree. No, he's such a nice guy. Like, he just even like for time for the interview he had so much time and then after the interview he's just given us so much time as well and he's just a nice guy all-round nice guy absolutely and you know as you'll find out throughout this episode I've I've got a few things coming up with sort of Brad and FCS which I'm really excited about but when I sort of had this idea in my head and and I got in contact with Brad and and posed the idea to him I didn't know how it was going to go I'm just this little distinctly average surfer you know posing big plans and big ideas about making (laughs) content you know and this whole average surfer approach versus pro surfer which we've spoke about so much you know and and these people will say oh you know I'm an average surfer and at that point you see them land the air reverse and when I say I'm an average surfer like I mean I, I stood up, know. woohoo! <laughs> yeah, that. but I don't know if I'm going to come out of a duck dive with or without my board yeah. on most occasions. <laughs> so that's what I mean by average surfing. Yeah. I'm so average, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to come out of the water or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know already that when you go under, you're committed to staying under. So yeah. that's the end of it for you. Um, but yeah, so I'm really excited about this one. And Brad's really, he's really helpful, really welcoming and really supportive. With ideas. And super knowledgeable as well. Like, I don't like you speak to certain people in in well we've done it through this podcast spoken to certain people and like these little glimpses of knowledge and this is one of the reasons I started the podcast was like we said at the very beginning when me and Leighton started it it was like we don't know everything about surfing so we're going to learn along the way and speaking to someone like this has got so much knowledge on everything surfing you could just you, you could sit there with him for days and you still wouldn't even scratch the knowledge that he has about surfing absolutely and you know what it's funny you say that because i do i was chatting to someone about this we've had quite a few compliments about the show recently and i think we've already spoke about them on the summary episode and and whatever else and a few episodes have been out but you know i think people might assume that we do a ton like i mean serious in-depth degree level research turning up to interviews and i'm not saying we turn up completely unprepared but like you've just said, I like to think that because we are not experts, we in the moment are able to ask, I hope, the questions that people listening want to hear. But we go on that same, you know, learning curve or learning yeah, journey. Yeah. Is anyone listening? That's what I think anyway, because I learn loads when we speak to these people. And you know what, with Brad, if there's a point that drives home how nice 
Brad is like kind of out of nowhere. Um, we've got a really exciting announcement actually with Brad and FCS. But you know, if you want to hear more, you're going to have to make it to the end of the show and find out what that is. But it's a big <laughs> deal. Nice. So we may as well just jump straight into it with Brad. All right. Well, uh, my name's Brad Rutchford. I'm salesman by day, shaper by night. <laughs> My, my main job is uh, I work for Surf Hardware International, who are uh, the parent company for FCS Fins, Softex Surfboards, uh, and Gorilla Grip. And uh, yeah, that, that's my, my main job, and I, and I do a bit of shaping on the side as well. You say do a bit of shaping on the side. I've seen some of your boards and looked through some of them. They're not just, that's not a bit of shaping. There's <laughs> some the... serious like, thought and, and hardware right in front of me right now. Well... Yeah, it's kind of a passion project. I mean, I, um, I've been doing it for 15 years, and uh, I think in the job I have with FCS, I'm quite lucky um, that I get to go into all the best surfboard factories in the country, mm. in the UK. Yeah. Um, I know all the shapers, I know all the glasses, I know all the sanders, I know all the plug guys, I, um, I know all the all the teams that work in those uh, and I get to talk to them almost every day. Okay. Um, so I feel like maybe I've, I'm a bit lucky that I had a bit of a fast track to, okay. le- to learning. Yeah. Getting, getting tips and, and ideas right. off all these, these amazing craftsmen that I yeah. get to work with. And I mean, the, the journey to bring you to where you are now, you're from where? Originally, yeah, uh, I was, grew up in South Africa. What about us? I was born in Johannesburg, but okay. I, I spent most of my youth and my uh, surfing uh, years uh, on the Natal South Coast, okay. just south of Durban. Right. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I lived in a place called Amanzam Toti, surfed a beach called Warner Beach, which is quite famous for being um, the home the home beach of Frankie Oberholzer. Okay. He was back uh, in those days, he was on the Search, Ripkel Search. A uh, few other names I can mention, Mike Roscoe and Gary van Verigen, amongst quite a few other real top surfers, you know, guys who were grinding the QS back in those days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Frankie, Mike and Gary are still all there at Warner's. They're still, they're still locals there. Uh, Gary and, and Frankie are shapers. They're building boards um, under their own labels. Um, nice guys are actually caught up with them uh, back in July. I was in South Africa in yeah. July and uh, got to see those guys. So, um, so yeah. When did you move over to the UK? And um, <clears throat> so I left South Africa in, in 1999 on my 19th birthday. And I'm now 42, so that's like same quite as long me time then. You know, it's a good <laughs> age to be. <laughs> so uh, yeah, left. We left. My mum's English, my dad's South African, but um, so times are changing, and uh, my mum wanted to come back to the UK, so we we moved back. Yeah, uh, set up base in Southampton back then, um, which. Uh, was tough for a, a, a beach bum that I was at the <laughs> time that, yeah. <laughs> to, to suddenly become a, a Southampton City resident was uh, was quite a uh, culture shock for me yeah, at the for time. Sure. But you know, I don't regret it. I, I lived in Southampton for ten years. That's where I met my wife. Um, met a lot of good people there. Um, I shaped my first surfboard there. 
uh, with a friend, um, gave me some uh, some good one-on-one tuition. His name's Brian Page. Hello, Brian, if you're listening. Um, he's kind of like he was. He's he's a really good friend. Um, his whole family are close to me, and uh, he he has a brand called Roller Coaster Circles. Okay, yeah. yeah. And um, he did a lot of shaping back in the uh, kind of eighties, and um, on the, for the South Coast crew, right. Um, so yeah, I, I got. Uh, an opportunity to shape a board with him in his in his shed and okay. uh, learn some tips and after that I, uh, I went home out to my house in Southampton and tried to build my own board <laughs> uh, uh, sh- shaped it outside on the in the garden on the grass and then glassed it in the kitchen because it was uh, uh, winter and I needed the heat for the resin to set so I um, I decided to to put newspaper on the floor in the kitchen and glass this board. And uh, oh my gosh, that was uh, that was a, a bit of a mess. <laughs> a mess. Um, the board the, the board overheated. The resin set before I'd even got to the laps. Um, so the whole thing was a disaster. I had to rip rip it all off. Um, and then the entire house stank uh, of resin fumes uh, for a couple of days. And uh, even more bizarre than that, all the food in our in our house tasted of resin, oh, no. and that was just from the fumes getting into the food. <laughs> so we had to bin all our food. Parents and, uh, happy? Well, it was with my wife. Um, she was not happy. To uh, did she know what you were up to in the process? Yeah, of that? Yeah, yeah. She was like, um, "This is actually before we got married." So somehow she's. I know what I'm doing, love. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing could go wrong. I'm surprised she still married me after that one, but it was uh, it was a funny one at the time. And, and you know, before we get to you know where you're at now with the boards, your surfing, I presume surfing wasn't just a recreation for you. I'm going to assume you were quite a, a good surfer when you. Yeah, I, mean, um, I, I was lucky enough to learn to surf in some of the best waves in the world and because um, of the south coast, famous for point breaks and uh, um, tropical water. Um, uh, I learned when I was 10, so, you know, um, I was quite lucky that I started fairly early. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I surfed a lot in my school. I could see the sea from my school and we would take our surfboards to school every day, wow. um, slide them under the beds in the <laughs> sick room, and uh, run down to the beach from school, stuff our school uniform and our backpacks, and just surf all afternoon. I can't even imagine how good that must be to do that. Yeah, See, uh, uh, South African stories. The only thing that goes through my head is sharks, sharks, <laughs> sharks. <laughs> well, I've had a few incidents in the past. I must say, um, you know, been chased out the water by sharks, seen, yeah. seen fins pop up. Luckily, never, uh, never got involved or knew anyone personally that got uh, got hurt in yeah. any way. But there was always sightings, you know, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty scary at the You're time. Probably a good person to ask because recently we done a Q and A session, and that was one of the questions was, you know, if, if there were sharks in the water, would you surf? And I always think that the obvious answer is no. But if you've grown up around that and that's all you know, it's not that out of the ordinary, is it? So I presume. You would just kind of go all way, but you would get out knowing, you know, and then get back in as soon as you could. Or, yeah, I think 
I was I was still a teenager at the time, so sharks, you know, I haven't had all my life to get used to it. So I was still out the water, and I was out the water you know, right, for okay. the rest of the day. <laughs> um, but um, these days, what we know about sharks, they don't stay in an area for very long. And I, and I know, mm -hmm. you know, um, I know people who surf in J Bay, and if there's a shark sighting, they out the water for like 20 minutes, and then they back in. If it's pumping, no one yeah. wants to miss it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but. Yeah, I think I don't think I could go back in. <laughs> no, I, I would be nowhere near it. I know I say that, but <laughs> I'd be nowhere near it at all. Nowhere I get scared when I say seals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah. could be vicious. Well, the thing with seals and dolphins, they 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 actually all way bigger than you think they are when they're right next to you. Yeah, when you're in air territory, it's a different. Yeah, I mean, the most scared I've been, I've been more scared with a dolphin encounter than a shark encounter. Um, I remember duck diving a wave. Uh, at Warner Beach and as I pushed through the, the face of the wave two dolphins dived out of the wave one either side of me um, and I literally just froze <laughs> with the shock of it but it was more how how big they were they yeah. were they just so much bigger than you think and they just came flying past me um, and I was in such shock I was shaking I had to get out and I sat on the beach for about half an hour just to calm down after That's that a, did you realise they were dolphins at the time or? yeah I did yeah, yeah. I knew as soon as they dived out but it was just that initial like, oh yeah 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 what as they as they came flying past me um, yeah it's a bit of an experience but um, and then uh, then everything you see in the water is a bit like you see a rocking up yeah always worst case yeah always worst case and did you compete as well, um, I, I I was in the school surfing team. Um, I competed that's against mad, isn't it? the school surfing team. Like, yeah, that's an <laughs> odd line to hear. Actually, yeah. I don't think I've heard that. That's <laughs> I was the I was the captain of the school surfing team in my final year. Uh, so I did a bit of competing in that. I compete in like some fun events, like the single fin shootout yeah. in Newquay and things like that. But I, I'm not quite at the level, you know, that the guys are, who are competing are. I'm, I'm I'd say I'm above average, but. Um, no, uh, well, I I kind of lent more into the judging side of things when okay. I was when I was in South Africa. I started judging contests, and I actually got quite good at that. Uh, before I left South Africa, I'd I'd, I'd judged uh, two South African surfing championships. Mm -hmm. I'd done an international bodyboarding event, a few longboard events, and some uh, some kind of national tour events around South Africa. Yeah. and I was paid to do that at the time, which, yeah. which was interesting, but. Yeah, didn't didn't keep that going when I when I moved over. Yeah, kind of lost lost interest in it. Yeah. So when did you move to Newquay then? Um, so moved to Newquay in two thousand and eight. So uh, work out how many years that is? Fifteen years. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's uh, that was a busy year for us. That's the year, the year my wife and I got married. Um, we both started new jobs down here. Mm -hmm. We sold our house and had to buy a new house. So there was all sorts of things going on. Same time, but yeah, at the time I was working over in Southampton in surf and skate retail stores, which is where I kind of cut my teeth in uh, in uh, in sales. Okay, um, and uh, DC Shoes offered me a job as Southwest rep, so I moved to Newquay. We'd been, to be honest, looking for a reason to move down to Cornwall for a long yeah. time, and it was it was it would always have been job related. Yeah. So. I was lucky, lucky enough to get a job with DC Shoes, and I worked for them for for six years. Mm -hmm. 
I literally sure. looked straight at your feet to see what you're wearing when you said that as well. <laughs> 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 and I'm not going to tell anyone what he's wearing. <laughs> They're not DCs at the moment. Nice pair of knees. So uh, yeah, so that that was that was great. That brought me down here finally um, uh, after travelling down here, you know, almost you know several times a month just to serve. Yeah. You know, so um, so away for DC. Then um, uh, after that, I did three years with Skinner's Brewery. Okay. Which is Ben Skinner's yeah. dad's uh, business, um, where they make beer. So I was a, a sales rep for them for three years. And um, I left when uh, when I got offered my current job, which is uh, for um, territory manager for the UK for Surf Hardware, mainly FCS, basically. And how did that come yeah. about? Was that an obvious progression or was it a knock yeah. at the door? Or? Well, I left the surf industry because at the time it was about 20. 13 maybe um the whole industry was going through a massive change and i kind of like um i just needed to get out and do something different yeah and um uh so so i left um when the company was making huge changes so i volunteered to leave and i took a redundancy package as part of that and worked for three years with uh skinner's brewery but um um my heart was always in surfing. You know, I was surfing every day. I was still talking to all the, the customers I knew, friends. And, um, and uh, um, I got approached. A few people mentioned to me that FCS were looking for somebody and they uh, mentioned my name. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always, you know, got my ears open for something if there's, yeah, yeah. If there's something interesting. And uh, so I, I kind of had a chat with them. They... Um, flew me to France for an interview at the headquarters in, in Hossegal. Um over a weekend. It was kind of like a bit of a last minute pull something together to get there and back in yeah. a weekend so it wouldn't affect my job that I was in at the time. Um, yeah, and that, and that was that. Basically set up Surf Hardware in the UK and we've been going six years and it's gone really well. Yeah. Yeah, so what what are the main ones again, sorry, that you deal with? So FCS, yeah. uh, Softec surfboards, and Gorilla Grip. Yeah. There's a couple of other brands. We do Hydro, which is like a swim fin mm-hmm. for like body surfing, bodyboarding, that yeah. kind of thing. And we also own a brand called Canoe Lock, which are lockable uh, tie-downs. They've got steel cables in the straps. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got expensive boards on mm. your roof and you're traveling through Europe and you yeah. go stop for some food. If you've got them tied down, you know, no one can just slash your straps and steal I don't even know if I've seen that, actually, but that's, I've actually seen quite a lot of posts recently on you know various Facebook groups and whatever of boards being stolen. Yeah. Um, that's a yeah, well, boards getting stolen is generally, uh, uh, you know, it's not planned. It's kind of like people... An opportunist. Op- it's an opportunist yeah. um, with a blade or a knife. They slash the straps and gone, you know, jiffy. But these are designed so they can't be slashed. And, you know, if you take some bolt cutters, you might get through them. But who yeah. carries bolt cutters in their back pocket, you know? So, well, funny uh, you should say that. <laughs> <laughs> He's sitting with a Scottish man, he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and then... The surfboard shaping continuing down here, did that start up afresh down here when you... Yeah, just brought all my gear and uh, um, resub. I mean, finding a place, because I'd do it all from home. Yeah, it was That was on the top of the list of buying a house in Cornwall, <laughs> need shaping bay uh, yeah. space. So, um, yeah, so that I just set up in my garage. Um, 
it's logistically tricky working from yeah. one room to because I I'm, I'm more of a board builder than a shaper because I build the board start to finish. Yeah. So there's all the processes to think about all done in one room from shaping, mm-hmm. glassing, um, sanding, airbrushing. You know, I do ding repairs as well. Um, so logistically, it's quite tricky, but I've managed to create like a my own custom setup uh, where my shaping racks. Um, have glassing racks that bolt on and bolt off okay and drip a drip tray that slots in place and comes off um you know and then yeah uh, racks on in the ceiling and uh, all sorts of little things that help me yeah. do all the processes but, you, but i have to clean like a lot between right, okay, processes yeah. <laughs> you know so a lot of dust management uh, yeah you weren't obviously put off by that first experience in the kitchen floor of, of making <laughs> no, boards no well the funny thing is after that um after that, my wife was like, you're going down to P&Q and you're buying yourself a shed. <laughs> so I went and bought the biggest shed I could find, which was a 12 by 8. It took up the whole bottom end of the garden, but it was big enough for me to get a longboard in, you know. So, yeah. um, And uh, that was it. The shed became the shaping bay. It was fully kitted with lighting, dust extraction, uh, insulation, heating, um, and uh, that was it. I've not looked back since then, and that's uh, 15 years now. I've been following you for a while, you know, on social media and stuff, and, you know, as I've said a, f- a few times, I'm not any expert in the surfing world, and I've, I've only really been surfing for nine years, which is nothing on the grand scheme of things. So the the kind of boards you make or just the, the setups on the base, I've never seen anything like that anywhere else. Um, and I was always blown away from the first time I seen your boards. So you, you've obviously come a long way from that first experience. What was the passion or the thought to maybe, I don't know if it's a different, I don't know, but to, to go the way you've gone, was there a reason in your thought to make it the way you want it to be? Um, you know, I, f- I follow a lot of good shapers. Um, I, f- I like to see what other people are doing. Um, I pick up ideas everywhere, but I've also got all my own ideas in my head and uh kind of my shaping evolved a lot into channel bottoms um a lot of that was because of my own personal desire to experiment with channels mm-hmm. there's so many different types of channels and i wanted to know what they all feel like you know um and being a shaper it's quite a nice perk to be able to go i'm <laughs> just going to yeah, make absolutely. one and see what happens and <laughs> you, you know Sometimes you make something and you're like, oh, I get it now. Or you, you ride and you're like, I don't get it. This feels terrible. And then you go back and you try another version of it and another version. And you and it, it just evolved over time. So a lot of my boards uh, have channels that I've found that work for me personally. Uh, doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. But, yeah. you know, and, and with that, you've got to, like, uh, think about fins, the size of fins, fin placements where your plugs go in all these channels, how you fit the plugs in the channels. And the thing I'm working on most at the moment is what I call a, a, a dual rocker channel. So it's, uh, uh, it's taking two different rocker curves and using the channels to create um, that second rocker. So you've got your standard rocker running off the tail of the board and you utilize a, a channel shape and curve to create a second rocker, slightly curvier rocker. Okay. Um, this idea came into my head actually at the uh, the wave pool in Bristol, um, because that wave is a little different to an ocean wave. It's mm. um, it's got a really tight pocket, quite a bowly pocket, but literally like two meters 
along the face and it's quite a flat wave. Yeah. So a standard shortboard really struggles to um, find uh, a balance between those two because it's in a real curvy pocket one second yeah. and it's on a real flat section yeah. next next minute. And those boards have one rocker to negotiate all those different sections. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had the idea to um, create a board that had a fairly low rocker to negotiate those flatter sections and get you speed through those sections. Yeah. But then you needed that extra rocker when you're in the bowl and you want to like hit the lip or get top to bottom or just lock in the pocket uh, on those like expert barrel sections. Um, so I, I, I started experimenting with doing that dual rocker and it it's, seems to actually work quite okay. well. Yeah. And um, it's translated uh, you know, into working as a really good small wave uh, board as well the, yeah um, pocket rocket type thing i call it the pool noodle board <laughs> the one that i developed um and uh yeah that's kind of where i'm working on some ideas okay. on dual rockers uh, how much of your own time obviously without you know with your job and everything else you get to put much of your own time into doing that stuff well um shaping happens at night mostly and at odd times in the weekend and i've just fitted in between general life family life you know um i i do restrict how much i shape i i don't let myself shape more than two boards a month so i build those two boards from start to finish so i allow two to three weeks per board okay and um, uh, that gives me time to build the board without rushing or cutting corners yeah but I still have time to surf. I still have time for my family. I've got an eight-year-old son called Kai, and um, you know he he needs more and more you know time with me, yeah, and we sure. want to do stuff together. Yeah. So it's finding the balance. So I've deliberately restricted myself on on the shaping just so I can have the the balance right. I always feel a bit bad for shapers, envious but bad as well because I always think you can make any board you want, which is great. But then you've got all these boards, and when you want to go to surf, I'd just stand there looking at them, not knowing what to pick, and just not go <laughs> surfing, because I didn't know what to pick. I'd just be like, oh, no, what do I take? Yeah. Well, I do have a shed full of boards, which is quite nice, but also a bit um, space-consuming. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But, uh, yeah, no, I... I I, I end up giving some away and um, you know lending them to people as demo boards. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes I'll go back to a board I made five years previously and just have another play with that and um, remember why mm. I made that board and what was what I was trying to achieve there and maybe then it uh, spurs on a second wind or yeah. something yeah. to evolve from that. Um, so that's what I enjoy about it. It's kind of just like the constant pursue of perfection which um i don't think i'll ever achieve i think there's just it's a constant evolution because one minute we're on thrusters the next minute we're on twins then it's all about channels and then it's something else and uh that keeps it interesting too because it yeah. never gets boring it sounds yeah. like you've you've kind of got that real nice balance as well between all of it which is a, i think a lot of people would struggle to find um must be a nice place to be yeah yeah well um you know i do i do like to try everything and even you know, going down the asymmetric route, mm. um, I've started doing a lot more asymmetric than I ever thought I would. Um, you know, even as little as five years ago, I, I, w- I was I didn't like asymmetrics. Uh, I just had a thing that they just looked wrong. Like how how was that any good? But now I'm like so open-minded to asymmetric, and uh, I own a few of my own asymmetrics. I've been making a few for other people, and. Um, 
I definitely see the benefit to it. It's it's a lot more technical and uh, but does make sense if yeah. you if you kind of like take all the aspects and understand the aspects. It it does really make sense. So before I get into this. I mean, I'm literally going to call it a piece of art that I'm staring at, ASIM, in front of me. For MD that doesn't know what an ASIM is, how would you describe that? Uh, so an ASIM, an asymmetric board is a board that has a completely different left rail side to the right rail side. Could also have totally different fin set up on, on one edge to the other. And the idea is that we as humans, we stand asymmetrically on a board. We, if, if we were standing on a surfboard like you stand on a pair of skis, that would be symmetrical, but because we side on, we we you know your heels and your toes do totally different things to the way a board surfs. So, in theory, you want to adapt the heel edge to work with your heels and the mm-hmm. toe edge to work with your toes. Because on your toes, you can put a, a lot more push, a lot more drive through that toe edge rail than you can on your heels. You can't put as much weight through your heels as you can on your toes. That was so eloquently put. There's no way I could have answered that like that. I would have literally <laughs> said it's just different on one side to the other and nobody would have taken much from that. Yeah. <laughs> it was very well put. What's what's the most extreme you could go on one of those? Like, I'm thinking like, because looking at that one over there and there's like the left-hand side bottom is longer than the right-hand side. The right-hand side is quite a bit further back. But what's... Well, What's that, the sort of extreme you could push it to? You can't see it. It's uh, it's got a rabbit's foot tail, so it's it's probably a foot longer on the toe edge than it is on the heel edge. Um, so basically, you can't put put as much force through your heels, so it's harder to keep a rail on a bottom turn on yeah. your heel side, which is why a lot of people struggle with twin fin fishes because. Uh, on the backside when they're surfing on a on, with a, on a backhand, if you short because those fish tails uh, are long and drawn out right to the points yeah. you n- normally find with those boards it's really easy to surf on your front side but much harder on your back side so it really helps to shorten your heel edge rail and having a longer toe edge rail is beneficial because you can drive that rail through your turns top and bottom um, which uh, kind of helps you you know uh, drive through speed and then when you turning onto your heels you've got that shorter rail so you can pivot that board round mm-hmm. a lot easier okay and this um i mean literacy is a, is a piece of art and we'll, we'll make sure there's a video playing over the top to show people what we're talking about here yeah, yeah. um there's what is there a story behind this board um well this particular board was the very first asymmetric i ever made which happened to be in a um in a shaping competition <laughs> Um, this was five years ago, and it was um, commissioned by Nixon. Okay. And they back then were doing a series called the Nixon Weird, right? Which they um, they went around different countries. They did one in uh, America. They did one in South Africa, um, Australia, possibly Hawaii as well. Right. And then they came to the UK to do it. Um, so the Nixon Weird UK, they invited six shapers to come and do a shape off together and the idea was to make weird surfboards Um, and then those boards would then get surfed by pro surfers and the surfers themselves would judge who who was the winner out of those boards yeah yeah so i I was somehow lucky enough to be invited to be part of those six shapers and um i was uh I, you know for me I, I'm, I'm a part-time shaper and all these guys are all full-time board builders yeah, okay. so uh, I, f- I definitely felt like the underdog <laughs> a little bit and um, 
Yeah, and then that was it. It was uh, run over two days, one day shaping. Right. And then a second day surfing. But they were uh, probably a month apart. Well, they wait. They did, had a waiting right. period for a good day surf to, to take that. And was there some criteria for what you had to make? Uh, yeah, so to make it weird, each surfer had to have a specific element in their board and each of the six elements was different okay and we didn't know what that element would be so when i say elements i'm talking the six elements were one was asymmetric okay. one was finless one was a super short one was a channel bottom one was a single fin and one was a twin fin and you had to ma you, each shaper had to um l take a lucky dip on right. what that element would be and then go shape with no time to plan. And you had an hour and a half or two hours, I think it was, to hand shape a board from start Jeez. to finish with that element and make it weird. That's <laughs> so, you, so there was, a, so you picked, obviously, you got ASIM. You said super short. How short are super short? Super, super short had to be below five foot four, I believe. Five foot four. Um, Andy Gale got that board. He's a shaper at okay. uh, Lucard's factory for seduction. Oh, right, okay. Right, okay. Um, so he got super short. Um, Hugh Brockman got finless. 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 Literally, so you presume you're using some sort of channel system. To yeah, so Hugh shaped a beautiful eight foot finless that he'd created these amazing channels in in the bottom to create some traction mm -hmm. um and the and it was asymmetric too oh, funny enough okay. the left side and the right side uh rails and bottom contours were totally different it was a yeah. beautiful thing he made we also had uh luke young uh lee bartlett and chris harris okay. um other shapers so it was the six of us and yeah we had uh there were two shaping bays and we each had um an hour and a half or two hours to shape a board start to finish by hand with a crowd watching with cameras oh God, in your face so big so that's <laughs> to shape the board that's just the shape of the board and then the coloring in the glass yeah everything. yeah so the way they that each board was colored its own unique color mine was a yellow um and the color we were given was when we we had to pull a watch out of a hat and there were six different color watches and the watch color corresponded to your uh, shape you had to do and the color the board would be right so mine came out um yellow watch asymmetric so the board was going to be a yellow asymmetric right okay uh, and that's how they did it and then the month between the boards being shaped and then being surfed the uh the factory which was open surf at the time um did all the the color uh and the glassing and finishing okay right else. And the uh, the fin I can't go over this finless board. The finless board I presume then surfed like a regular board, and you couldn't tell there was no fins on it. Uh, no way. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it it was probably it, it was the guys were having so much fun on it. They were spinning, but uh, it was like front side three sixties, back side three sixties. The guys were, at, but the, the channels were able to lock in if you wanted to just drive down the line right. and, and get get straight down the line, but. Um, it just unlocks a, a, a whole world of fun for those guys, yeah. <laughs> honestly. So it does. That so it sounds more like a snowboard move in the way that. Yeah, that, totally. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then exactly. how did how did you get on in a competition then? Um, um, somehow I managed to win it. Um, <laughs> and the, uh, the, <laughs> the part-time shaper. Yeah. Um, the reason I'm told it won by the the pros who were surfing it was that for some reason this 
totally weird looking board surfed the most normal out of the whole six okay so to them they 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 couldn't get their head around the fact that it surfed like a shortboard felt like their shortboard going left going right with your regular foot or goofy foot and i still can't figure out why it you know <laughs> was like that but um somehow it, it, you know it, it it matched the brief which was to make mm. a weird board that surfed well yeah and i think you know I do feel like there was an element of luck, um, a little bit of skill in there, hopefully. But um, at the end of the day, uh, um, I, f I just feel, I just can't believe it. Still, that's still it's, that's incredible. Um, and the thing that, you know, again, looking at this board, I can kind of understand the outline shape and what that's doing. The thing that blows my mind is how you then set the fins. It's obviously on a thruster, but... You know, it's not like a thruster anybody would seen if I've not looked at an ASIM before. How do you work out where them fins need to be? Well, on this board, on the shorter heel edge, we've got a quad set up in FCS2 when the plugs are set into the channels. And then on the longer toe edge, um, you've got a single plug, which is for a twin fin. So on one side, you've got a 20. The right. other side, you've got a quad. <laughs> and then it's how do you how do you balance that on on the board? Because if you set the plugs uh incorrectly you can get the the board can actually track to one side okay uh, you, you might you might get tracking to the the right or you might get tracking to yeah. the left mm. um which can totally ruin your board because you know you want that board to go where you want it to go not where the board's trying to go because the fins are all wonky but so this this was the very first board i'd, I'd ever made as an asymmetric and it was a bit of a guess and a bit of like trying to work it out. I mean, we did spend probably an hour, um, me and some of the guys, just like placing plugs on the board and trying to figure out okay. what the best spot would be. Yeah. So we kind of came up with a balance point where the, the, the single fin on, on the one rail was kind of centered between the two quad plugs. Okay. Uh, and that did seem to work. Also, the, um, the stringer running through the tail is raised out of the board like another fin so it's like a long short fin running from a third up the tail yeah, right. off yeah. off the back and i feel like that actually created a balance between the left side and the right side that, okay. that little fin running through the middle sort of straightened everything out was that a a, a beforehand overall thought or was that a why not i'll just try it kind of yeah i started planing the board from the rails and as i was um literally like in the first minute i got to the stringer and i was like oh, maybe i can use the stringer in this you know it's got to be weird so let's yeah, see what yeah, i can yeah. and it kind of just evolved as i was shaping you know you've got to remember when we were making these boards all six of us didn't have time to plan you know it's yeah. literally you were shaping on a whim after pulling something out the hat that you had to shape <laughs> so it was yeah highly stressful spur of the moment just go with the flow and see what yeah. happens it's literally bake off for surfboards <laughs> a little bit it really yeah. is <laughs> <laughs> does that still go on as well the same competition is it no um so that the i think the uk one was the last one and that was five years ago and strangely it, it feels like it was like the prequel to um the electric acid surfboard test because that's kind of like a yeah. similar thing yeah. for, for now um and uh yeah, it was for me. That was a really just a great experience to be part of. What a great moment! Uh, that is a fantastic, especially you know you said you weren't expecting to be selected to do that. 
yeah. part-time shaper against these, I, I guess, big names in shaping or people that do it full-time, dedicated, and it's a win as well. And that, it is, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. That thing is yeah. something else. Yeah, well, I must say those the, the other five shapers were phenomenal. The boards they made were absolute beauties. And um, so there was absolutely nothing wrong with any of their boards. No. And Nixon really looked after all of us. Yeah. You know, we, they... they um, they we all got paid we we got given custom made watches each of us has a totally unique one of a kind watch that I presume they, yours is yellow um no <laughs> no um they these watches they gave us were like um they were like metal analog watches with these leather and fabric combination type straps nice. and on the back of the bezel they'd engraved um each shaper's logo on their own watch oh, what touch yeah with the Nixon weird logo engraved on there as well yeah um, and that each of those watches uh, is totally unique they were custom yeah. made in the Nixon uh, shop in London apparently oh, um, cool. so we all we all took something away that's you know, a great to touch what an experience that must have been it was great and uh, I would presume I mean it sounds like to get a Rochford custom board it's quite a it was quite a special thing if you do two a month that's a bit like a, try to get a Bentley, you know, there's a waiting, waiting list. list. <laughs> like, I, I don't advertise or anything, but there always is a, a little bit of a queue. Mm. Um, there's, uh, I, I've never had a, a gap where I've not had a board to make. Um, and, you know, during COVID, all the shapers, all the shapers were super busy. And my, my waiting list was over six months. Um, at one point um, but generally um, if you place an order it's usually about three to four month wait okay. uh, yeah. and it kind of just takes over on its own yeah. without doing anything it I mean not to take anything away from any other shapers and, and board companies but you know you get in a full on personal experience knowing that you're that board in your hand from start to finish yeah well I think people people are coming back to board shapers I mean you can go into uh, lots of surf shops and buy some absolutely amazing boards from shapers all over the world but I think a lot of people are looking for that bespoke experience again mm-hmm. um, uh, the, sh- the local shapers in the UK definitely saw a huge rise in in uh, demand over COVID yeah. and it's still still big now I think um, I think everyone needs to buy a custom board at some point yeah. and to have that experience with a shaper that personal experience go in the factory meet the shaper talk mm-hmm. to them tell them what you need listen to their advice um, you know at the end of the day they're going to make you a board for your local spot you know that's yeah. going to be custom for that spot with a certain rocker and a certain shape yeah um, you can customize everything including your color and spray and mm. uh, you know you go into most shops and you're buying a whiteboard off the rack and they're all the same so um, why and actually not? you're not necessarily losing any money by going and getting a custom board which no. I think is contrary to belief yeah and uh, most custom made boards will be the same price as you get from a shop but it's you know that board's going to have your name in the board at the yeah. end of the day and um, it's totally unique and you've 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 had that whole ex- experience that you could pay a lot of money extra yeah. for. Yeah. And then you go from getting either a shop board or a stock board, like you were saying earlier, Mitch, like having a conversation with someone about fins. Oh, fins aren't important. Yeah, and this is, um, you know, so, so me and Brad are doing something together with FCS um, based on a conversation, and you know, something I was very guilty of, and I imagine a lot of people listening to probably were at some point. And, and I used to say that, Oh, fins. I'm not good enough for fins to make a difference. And then Alan, our friend Alan, adrenaline athlete, um, he, when we were down at Boardmasters, it kind of, 
I guess, reminded me of that because he said the same thing. And I was like, no, Alan, fins make a huge difference to your surfing because the first time I was able and lucky enough to try some different fins to the, you know, the one set I owned that went on every single board, I could feel the difference. I couldn't explain the difference, but I knew there was a difference and realizing that, yeah. and obviously it's, it's a costly experiment but actually, from the moment, and te- you know, tell me what you think, but I think from the moment you're able to to catch your own waves, generate your own speed to the point maybe of just trimming along a wave, then fins start to make a huge difference. Absolutely. I mean, fins are, um, fins are 30% of your board's performance, which is a big number. Like that, yeah. If you get that, if you put the wrong set of fins in, that 30% can, you know, make a huge difference yeah. to how your board feels. Mm. Um, you, your fins are like your engine of your board. Yeah. Um, and they're the, your engine and your brakes at the same time. So if you, you know, if you imagine uh, taking the engine and the brakes out of a car right. and, and push it down a hill, you're basically going to fly down this hill. You can't stop but you can't slow down and you, you, you will just keep speeding up and keep yeah. going um, and losing control. If you, if you take your surfboard in the water with no fins, you're going to have the same experience. It's just going to go. You're not going to be able to stop or you know, control your speed. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you do about your engine is you put your, your engine in your board, which is your fins, and depending on what engine you put in your board, that's going to determine how your board feels. So... If you imagine if you've got a nice car, but you put a little one litre petrol engine in it, yeah, that maybe is equivalent to your cheap plastic fins. Okay. Or you could put a V8 in that uh, engine, and that's your FCS2 H4 carbon quad, for yeah. example. Those two fin setups are going to feel totally night and day to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you want to do is um, kind of like select the right set of fins based on your ability um, and the board you're riding, and that will um, enhance your surfing experience no end. Um, yeah. If you get it wrong, you can make a what you thought was a magic board um, an yeah. absolute yeah. Uh, dog. Uh, you can also turn a dog of a board into a magic stick just by changing the fins. Yeah, I think a lot of people are put off by fins by the price of fins as well. Though I think that's you know yeah, like you, look a lot. At, you look at fins like well, so I longboard, so I've got single fin, and I look at a single fin, and there. You're not getting one for under eighty quid, up to one hundred and fifty. Yeah, even more than that sometimes. You know. Yeah. Well, if you think about the cost of a fin, it sounds expensive. Let's say a good set of fins is going to set you back eighty to a hundred quid. Yeah. Talking thruster set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about the cost of your surfboard? That's uh, off the rack. You're paying six to seven hundred quid. Yeah. Okay. So an eighty quid set of fins is fifteen percent of the cost of your board. Yeah. But remember those fins generate 30% of your board's overall performance. Yeah. So, yeah. so actually, a quality set of fins is still very good value for money because you you need you need to remember that 30% factor. Yeah. Um, and 15% of the cost of your board really is does make it actually good value in comparison. It's quite a good way to put it, to be fair, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. What are, so on your uh, FCSs, what are the sort of ranges they go through then? To, is, there, is there like a stand... I know nothing about these types of fins. This is more your area. Well, I, I guess, again, you know, when I've done my own little bit of research into, you know, I use FCS2s and I always have. Um, 
I thought fins were a minefield because there's so many options. But actually, and I think I was sent a link to, um, it was on the FCS website, which I know it still is, um, a video about the four FCS fin families. There's only four families of fins, right? Yes, there is. Um, and then they obviously break down further within that. But when I watched that video, I was like, actually, this makes a lot of sense. It, it sort of vaguely talks about, you know, what that fin is doing, what the rake does. And within that, there's, I think I was going to say almost a calculator, but it is a calculator, which will tell you based on your, you know, your size, your weight, etc. And ability, the fin family, you need to be, you know, within. Um, be- yeah, so on the FCS website, there's a, a tab called Find Your Fin, and you just click on that tab, and it asks you five simple questions about you as a surfer, your weight, that kind of thing, and it will spit out a handful of fins that are recommended for you, just to really simplify it. It can look overwhelming when you're in a shop, and there's 300 sets of fins on the wall, yeah. and you, where do you start? Mm. Some people will go, I want a red fin, so they buy a red fin to match their board, but yeah. that really is the... Do that? <laughs> <laughs> that's really the, the wrong end to start what you need to do is find the model or shape of fin that is suited to you as a surfer and then maybe find the color that you like within that family yeah and there are there's four families in the uh, fcs range uh, the reactor performer accelerator and carver and on the left side you've got the reactor which is like a, a, a very upright fin Um, And on the right-hand side, uh, you've got the carver, which is a really reiki fin. So you go from upright to reiki, and the two in the middle are kind of a hybrid of those two models. So if you understand how those four models of fin work, Mm -hmm. then all the rest of the fins in the range fit into one of those four families. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's actually really well explained and simplify that's the simplest version i've heard of like someone saying fins and going just like well it's basically yeah. that simple that's it everything fits within those <laughs> yeah. four because so. it is you, i like i go in a shop and like, i look at a wall of fins and like even just like like longboard fins when i'm looking at a single fin there's so many variations and i'm i even though i've spoken to chris from logfinco who deals in longboard fins it still makes my brain hurt mm-hmm. just looking at them. <laughs> yeah, well, that, this goes a little bit back to talking to your shaper. So if you're getting a board built by a shaper, he can um, he can recommend um, size and shape uh, based on yeah. the board you've ordered uh, and your um, surfing ability based on what you tell mm-hmm. him. Um, also, I mean, the, the same goes for the retail stores. So a, a, a quality surf shop, the staff will know what they're talking about. Part of my job is to train those staff, and I, yeah. I do that quite regularly. Um, I also teach um, fins to uh, Cornwall University, to the surf science degree oh, wow. students. They come here, and I give them uh, a lesson on, on fins, and they all walk away here blown away about how simple it is when you actually right. break it down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so... Um, those four families are the key. If you, uh, the, 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 the fins on the left being your very pivotal fin, mm-hmm. um, more designed for your smaller wave, mm-hmm. um, smaller wave boards, and then the ones with a lot of rake for your high performance. Think long, open, drawn-out turns on point-break waves. That's your yeah. carver family. And in the middle, you've got the, the performer, which is your uh, all-rounder because it okay. balances those two yeah. aspects together. And then where do you sort of break that down? If we, you know, we, we've discussed that's kind of 
thruster setups if you're starting to look at you know twin fins and quads etc where do the i guess i've not experimented with fins outside of just thrusters where would you break that down or how would you break that down to someone so it's a little bit more complicated when you go into like uh quads and 20s because when you think about 20s you're also talking about keels um and then you can get split keels which are like a hybrid of a, of a, tw- a twin keel and a quad so there's all these variables, but that category, which we call the speciality category, is totally unique. And there's there's so many versions of the same thing yeah. in all different, slightly you know tweaked nuances between them that give you a slightly different feel. So with twins, it's all about just experimenting. And I think um, uh, that's the advantage of finding a store that potentially has a, a demo range. Um, yeah. One example is down the line surf shop yeah they've got a really big range of demo fins that uh, i work closely with them on supplying mm-hmm. the right fins for what people are asking for and you'll find that a lot of those fins tend to be speciality fins that people are unsure like which 20 to choose so there's maybe five or six 20 options there in different um, models that they can try in the same board yeah uh, same on the high-end priced fins, like thruster fins, like the new H4 fin will set you back around 135 pounds. Yeah. But you know, it's a bit harder to separate the money for those, or to give the the store the money for those fins when you're not sure what's going to happen when you yeah. put them in your board. Yeah. yeah. So why not try them first? And somewhere like down the line offers a a, a demo try before you buy. Yeah. And I think um, that gives people the opportunity to try different things and, that, and that's not a bad thing because a lot of people will set themselves with one set of fins for all their boards and yeah, they just switch yeah. that set of fins between all their boards yeah another question another question on the on the soft techs actually like I, we get quite a few messages of people that say about they've got a soft tech board and now they want to move up to a like their own shape board or a, like own shop board and we've had a few where people have been oh i've been riding a soft tech for six months or a year or something like that have you like it's, it's going to be quite a difficult question to answer or even for me to word it properly but like um someone that's been surfing six months say they surf every every week they're getting loads of use out of it someone that's had a soft tech for a year and then they're surfing like once or twice a month how long can you spend on a soft tech do you would you think until you've got to make that decision to move because I still get on a foamy every now and then I still absolutely have a blast but I don't think I would if I was surfing a foamy all the time does that make sense well i think a foamy has a place in everyone's quiver foamy will come out some point um on those small little days you might take a longboard or you take the foamy if you got kids you Mm. go down the beach as a family foamy goes along because um you can uh you can push little johnny in on some on some small like learner waves and then While he's back on the beach building sandcastles, Dad can go and have a little shred out the when back. When you've sent him to the beach to build sandcastles, <laughs> so you can have a shot on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I think my, my if I reworded that question, it'd be like I. Th- I do think that like people think they've got to get off a of foamy quicker, and it's going to make them a better surfer. I think. I guess it depends on what you want out of surfing. If, you, if you're surfing to progress, yeah, I would say yeah, you probably want to get off a of foamy pretty quickly to maybe not let bad habits set in. But for me anyway, having started surfing so much later in life, maybe I understand a little bit more that it's all about learning to walk, get consistent walking, step down to what would be a hardboard, maybe a minimal, whatever, and then get reconsistent again because actually coming down from that 
for me to that mao will be a massive step and then it's getting consistent and then you know yeah. around the turn or whatever yeah and w- when you're kind of progressing onto that other board you might be still using the foamy in certain conditions mm. and uh, stepping between the two as you um, taking that progressive step but also with the foamies you we we do a range of um, progressive foamies so we we start right at the the bottom the bottom end with a pure learner board that big old fat things called zeppelins yeah uh, big like eight and nine foot things and then we do um foamies that look more like short boards with a slightly uh, pointier end mm-hmm. but still have the length and the volume yeah um as well as uh fcs2 fin plugs so you can start experimenting with fins as uh, well that's cool so you yeah, can yeah, actually yeah. be progressing ah, right, on yeah. foamies yeah. without having to go onto a, a hardboard oh, that's um, cool and hmm. we go right through to a range we call epoxy series, which are really high performance um, foamies that surf and feel like a custom board. Because yeah. inside the board is a hard epoxy glassed shell um, yeah. wrapped in foam. So uh, you'll be surprised how good those things surf. I mean, foamies have come a long yeah. way. Because I said to you, that old surf I had at the wave on um, a foamy. Yeah. I, I hate taking my own board to the wave. Um, so I used one of their. I used to use one of their older foamies that they had before, and they were starting to get really battered. And they had some newer ones in. I tried one of those, and it was so buoyant. And I, I was catching every single thing in the the whole the whole set we were in. Yeah, I was catching two or three each time, and that's more waves than I've ever caught the wave in my life. And oh, everything right, yeah. just seemed to click on this. And this like the foamy felt just like I had so but the thing much is, it time. takes you back to that fundamental yeah. surfing like I love a foamy day I love when foamies are coming out and also especially if the friends out on it because it kind of just turns into this unruly lineup of you know board swaps and acid drops and it's just so much fun which surfing should be yeah you got a bad rep I guess for some people we were chatting to Steve from Karma he said you know back in what like the 80s he was going out on foamies on the 90s he was going out on foamies and it, it wasn't really the done thing at the time and even the people that knew him were you know giving on them kind of looks as to what are you doing are you injured but he was having so much fun over anyone yeah. else getting yeah. on everything yeah well foamies definitely they were um kooky boards when mm. they uh they would you know you were a kook if you had a foamy on your arm but i think times have changed and that's um a lot thanks to surf instructors um surf instructors doing lessons all day and sneaking out the back for a quick ride on the foamy um realizing actually these things are fun yeah um and i think you know surf instructors everyone wants to be a surf instructor don't they or be like one so uh, (laughs) that may have may have helped but um yeah the progression over the last even the last five years has been phenomenal and um, just on the fins, um, without putting you on the spot for the, the FCS riders within the UK, um, how much input do them guys and girls have back to FCS over the fin setups or the fin systems? And Well, our, our UK team, um, I, you know, they all have their favourites mm-hmm. um, and they tend to stick to their favourites. Uh, they'll they'll um, have a go at something else every now and again just to try and get a different feel or uh, see what it's all about. But um, the global FCS team are, are hugely important in the development of the FCS fin range. Um, they are our test riders. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the dummies, basically, that take these fins in sample format, um, try them, uh, and we will go back and remake and resand and yeah. reshape um, multiple times until we get it right. Um, yeah. One example is Mick Fanning. 
he's probably our principal uh, test rider. Mm -hmm. He's developed um, uh, recently the H4 fin for us, as well as uh, bring out his own twin uh, in a similar template to the H4. Um, and his fin, his own fin, uh, the MF thruster set, is uh, one of the best sellers in the FCS2 range okay. yeah. still to this day. And I'm curious as to, I'm take nothing away from Mick, he's an amazing surfer and an amazing man. I'm curious as to, and this is probably going to sound like me trying to get a job, I'm not, but, you know, if there's something going, how much input do FCS have slash take from your average surfer? Because, you know, what Mick Fannin's taken from a surfboard could never relate to me because I can't do that. Yeah, well, the 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 FCS design team themselves are just like us, normal guys. They're all really cool guys, like um, guys you'd go and have a beer with, guys you'd go and have a surf with and probably surf on a similar level. Um, they, they, they're they also, you know, taking everything they're designing and trying it mm. uh, and then passing it on to friends, family and team riders. So everyone's having a bit of a play on, on the equipment. It's not exclusively tested by yeah, okay. uh, by the um, top athletes. That's music to my ears. Yeah. Yeah, but they, they're the ones who, you'll be surprised what they can feel in their fins. Yeah, no, we, we had a chat about that before. It's, I, I can't quite comprehend the level. It's a bit like that Formula One driver mentality where every little thing, that awareness, when I just sort of, I, you could change my fins. I would know you've changed my fins. But I, I couldn't describe why I know that. Yeah, but guys like Mick Fanning and Kelly Slater, two good examples, they they can pick out the smallest thing that isn't right or is right, and they'll know why it's working, and they'll, they'll know the p part of the fin that's making it feel like that, wow. which I think is incredible, like <laughs> yeah. super fine detail like that. But that's how you create uh, an ultimate product that... Um, uh, gives you the top performance you can get out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And um, should ask you a few questions about your own surfing as well. Really. Yeah. You know I mean, <laughs> we got we got when you started and everything. And how was it? How did you find it moving from South Africa to here and surfing here? How was it a big shock when you started surfing here? Was it much difference? Uh, the main thing was the difference in weather and temperature and having to wear a wetsuit when I spent uh. most of my time wearing boardies. Um, probably the most I'd surfed wetsuit wise was a shorty. Okay. Um, but yeah, trying to get used to all the rubber, and even f uh, how many years ago was that? Now coming over to in twenty in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, so that's so like, like twenty three. Yeah. yeah, wetsuits twenty three years ago were not what they yeah. are today. <laughs> so I remember that. <laughs> I, I remember surfing fistral, and I. I uh, was in the most pain I've ever been from my hands. My hands were so cold. I think I had frostbite. Um, but uh, it took me a good part of two hours to get proper feeling in my hands. Yeah, you get proper claw hands. Uh, I had clients, <laughs> but I had pain. It was like, yeah. it was nothing. I, I think I was, I remember it was January and my wetsuit was a 3-2 that I'd brought over from South Africa. <laughs> and I had a pair of random booties on there. I don't even know where they came from, but I had no gloves. Was this, was this January 99 or this was This would have been probably 2000. That might have been the same year as we were talking that me and Spoons and Leighton were down there and Spoons had a 3-2 
with oh, no arms, but this, he had gloves. This photo is amazing. I don't know how he had sleeveless wetsuit, but he did. But he's still wearing gloves. And it's just like not big enough to yeah. pull that look off. But he lasted. <laughs> he lasted ten minutes in the water, and then he was out on the side throwing up. It was so cold. It's hard to describe to someone who hasn't had that cold water immersion in the UK in the winter. But it also lets you know if you can enjoy surfing in the winter in the UK, like you are locked into surfing. You Absolutely. know, you are there. Thank goodness we've got good gear these days, and we can all be comfortable and flexible and yeah you, know, you can serve any day no matter what the weather uh, i'm yeah. even genuinely impressed by in the nine years i've been surfing um i'm uh i'm sponsored by sea skins and um i made a piece recently i called it the sea skin six and i've always said this thing about you know you should be wary of what people who either get paid in products or money to talk about products have to say but you shouldn't just discredit it because they're saying it because they're getting paid because they may genuinely love it and this piece was about and i don't know why i've still got every wetsuit i've ever owned and ever bought i've still got all the six wetsuits from sea skins i bought including the first ever wetsuit i bought which was a winter suit nine years ago and i made a piece um saying exactly about that and putting that nine-year-old wetsuit on in comparison to, you know, the craziness of a Halo X RD8 sort of, you know, the technology, it's night and day. Yeah. You know, it's like putting on a T-shirt compared to putting on, I don't know, yeah. some, you know, like a big puffer jacket. Yeah. It's amazing how far it's come then. So I couldn't even imagine 20 years ago what you were in. Yeah, I just remember it wasn't flexible at all and it was thin and didn't seem to do anything. <laughs> no, they, they were crap. Yeah, they I can were, imagine. Literally, they... Just, I what well, I I remember that they they did a slight job, but it was nothing ever seemed to fit right. Nothing, no, the main job it did was chafe your armpit. Yeah, and well, your neck and your neck. You used to look like you'd hung yourself all yeah. the time. You used to have like a red mark around your neck where the salt had rubbed on it and everything like that. Right, at the uh, point where you get flush every time you duck dived as well. That's yeah. not cool. Yeah, it's just awful. Not at all. No, they were bad. Yeah. So, question we always ask: best wave you've ever caught, worst wipeout. <laughs> Best wave, probably. Uh, I have been lucky enough to surf some great places, but um, J Bay's got to be one of a, one of my favourites. Uh, supers, what a wave that is when it's on, uh, and also probably the Mentawis. I think uh, one particular session um, uh, at Bank Vaults sticks in my mind. Nearly double overhead barrels. So I mean, just dreamy stuff. Um, that's probably it's dreamy stuff it's terrifying stuff <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying <laughs> yeah, no doubt that's just two that I can think of and worst wipeout got to be last year when I snapped my leg Ooh. surfing that was pretty where was that top of the list for me that was here in Nuki at Crantock Beach oh. and uh, it wasn't even like an out of the ordinary day it was uh, early morning on a Friday before work just went for a quick surf with my mate Pete um, and it was the last wave in. I think I even said, should we get one more? And jinxed it maybe. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just rode this wave all the way into the inside and it was a really small section. I just hit the lip on the inside and just heard this huge bang noise and uh, I was just lying in the water in agony. Didn't really know at the time what, what had actually happened but I... I thought that noise was the board flipping over and the rail whacking me in the shin. Um, and it just made that crack noise. Right. Um, what it turns out it was, was it was literally the shin bone snapping in half 
like oh. a twig on a tree, oh. which made that noise. Um, so at the time when I didn't really know what was going on, I was, I was just laying in the water. Luckily, it was on the inside, so I could. I was lying on my back and I could feel the sand underneath me. Um, and I was just lying there, waiting for the pain to go away. It was just severe with pins and needles. And um, then I then I was like, okay, well, it's pretty bad. I'm, I'm just going to need to get out the water. I was lying there. I had to take my leash off the other leg um, because I was being just dragged around yeah. in the white water. And then tried to roll over and I realized I couldn't because my foot was like an anchor oh, in the sand. No. <laughs> And so we're talking clean break. Clean yeah. break, Ugh. not through the skin, but the bones were both <sighs> gone, and my foot was just like a floppy mess, like underneath. Um, and it, trying to roll over would just couldn't, you know, couldn't do it. So I had to lay on my back again and just see if I could find someone to help me. And um, a couple of minutes later, probably, yeah, you know, there was no one on the beach. It was seventh of May. Uh, early morning Friday there's no tourists around yet the lifeguards weren't on duty yet yeah. they, it was actually the day before the lifeguards started back <laughs> on duty and um, my friend Damo um, he, he runs a business in Newquay called Box and Barber really really nice coffee shop um, him and his brother were surfing and he just happened to be walking out of the water as I was lying there and I waved to him I was like Damo and he waved at me and went, all right, Brad. <laughs> thought I was just <laughs> so having yeah. a little, how are, you, how are you doing? But anyway, he realized something was up and he came over. And and um, I think he saw my leg and he was like, oh, my God, hang Ooh. on. Just wait there. And uh, he just disappeared. And then a minute later, he came back with his brother, Ollie. And uh, the two of them kind of like picked me up over their shoulders um, and carried me out. Um, uh, and at this point... Um, my mate Pete, who I was surfing with, came in wondering what was going on. And uh, uh, the one person on the beach who happened to be Dale from Big Green Surf School was giving a lesson, saw something was up, and he came running over. And he happened to have a phone in his bag, and he was able to call uh, the Coast Guard. As any good surf instructor would. Yeah. So, uh, but there was literally no one else on the beach oh. with a phone or even a person um, on the beach. And... Um, the nearest car park was... It's not a long walk at Crantock, is oh, no. it? <laughs> this is low, low tide Crantock. Oh, no. The nearest car park uh, from where I was on the beach was nearly a kilometre away. That's Crantock. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the, they wanted to send the uh, air ambulance out, but it just happened to be out on another call. So they sent the Coast Guard by uh, car and they um, they managed to get so far up the beach and then had to park and walk through the river uh, same with the paramedics they came and helped me out on the beach randomly the coast guard arrived four I think it was four guys and the lead coast guard um, happened to be my old boss at DC Shoes <laughs> Matt Relton's his name this wouldn't have happened in DC Shoes would it? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just was so surprised to, to see him um, and then um, two uh, two paramedics turned up um which was uh, when I was given morphine. And wow, never had morphine before in my life, but right. what a experience that was. Yeah. <laughs> to see, uh, to have that pain I was in just melt oh. away. I felt like I was sinking into a, a warm bath in the sand. It was, 
and because uh, at, at that point I was already in a bit of shock, and um, so I was I was shaking yeah. from cold and shock on the beach. Um, so that was incredible. And then those guys, six, I had six guys carry me to the car park on a stretcher through the Crantock River um, all the way to the ambulance. There's and, nothing uh, pleasant about any of that. No. And then on top of that, I had to uh, sit, I was in the ambulance for five hours. Three hours of that was sitting in the, outside the hospital um, uh, on the helipad waiting for a bed to become available. You're joking. Um, but the most random thing about that was the paramedic, uh, his name is Steve. Um, he happened to be, um, his main job is a paramedic, but he's also a, a foster carer. Okay. Um, and me and my wife have been going through um, a process to adopt. Oh, and wow. so, so, so randomly, we just chatted for hours about fostering and adoption. And um, I learned a lot of him about um the adoption process um, yeah. and we're sort of most of the way through that at the minute and we're just now waiting for a match um, f- to adopt a child. That's, but, a, that's, that's incredible. Cool. But so strange that, you know, a lot of this information I learned came from the paramedic who Yeah, who it's almost like me. it was meant to be. Yeah. I feel really bad even going back. I was going to ask you, what, did you have to get your wetsuit cut off? But I can't even... I did. I have, yeah, that's just what you're doing. That is amazing for some, uh, you know, a child's life what you've yeah. given someone a chance uh, you know total hats off to you oh thanks well we're, we're very excited it's been a long process even our son kai is um super keen to have a little brother or sister and he's been involved from the start and you know we're we're ready to bring somebody into our home and give them a better life yeah, that's amazing i hope that goes really well for you guys yeah. thank yeah. you and um if i said to you surfers not street children what would you say um, a charity close to my heart. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're based in South Africa and Mozambique and actually in South Africa, not far from where I grew up. Okay. Um, and Tom Hewitt, who's a good friend of mine, he actually lives in North Devon, of all places. And um, I got to know Tom partly through FCS, but also because um, as a company, when we get damaged boards because we sell soft tech boards mm-hmm. if you get a damaged board uh, couriers treat them like you know yeah. surprised yeah but if they get damaged the retailer doesn't want them anymore they okay. don't they can't sell them on so you end up with this board that actually is probably totally surfable with a little bit of cosmetic damage what do you do with that well in the old days you'd be sh- surprised to know the policy not just f- well it was policy in any board manufacturer okay. you cut that board in half and you throw it in the tip and when i was told that i was like no way i'm not doing that that board can be surfed i'm going to keep it here I'll, maybe i'll use it as a demo board or whatever and i ended up getting a bit of a pile of boards that yeah. were getting damaged by couriers that i couldn't you know uh, do anything with at the time and met tom had, was he was just telling me about what he does and i was like oh my goodness this is where these boards yeah. are meant to go. Yeah. Um, so I started donating um, some soft tech boards through the company. We would uh, we would write them off and give them to Tom mm-hmm. at the charity, and they were being shipped over by uh, in board bags yeah. to South Africa at the time. And then um, a few years ago, probably three years ago now, my best mate Pete said to me, "Look, I've got this board in my shed. You made it for me." I, I don't use it anymore, but 
Um, I also don't want to sell it because yeah. it's you know a good board, and I I can't bear to really sell it. So, would you donate it to that charity you've been helping? So, if it's not street children, I was like, oh, of course I will. Yeah. Um, is it, have you got any more? Is this, you know, he's like, oh, I might, I might have another one or two. So he he pulled out a few more boards, and I did the same. Went into my shed, which is bulging with boards, and you know <laughs> that may never get used again. So I was like, okay. We got like a, a bunch of boards out and I took a photo of these boards and put them on social media and said, guys, come on, who else has got a shed with boards they don't use? Look in your lofts, look in your garages. Um, and my one post got shared and shared, I think nearly 50 times, even wow. by people I don't even know. Yeah, it, um, it just went viral all over social media in the UK. And next thing you know, um, that one board that came out of a shed ended up being over 200 surfboards. Wow, that's and, incredible. It's um, amazing. Yes, yeah, so we, we recently, uh, this year actually, got them to South Africa after a bit of a break because of the pandemic yeah, where yeah. everything had to be put on hold. Um, but uh, without giving too much away, there's actually a film of it coming out um, mm. tomorrow. So by the time this podcast is out, it will already be yeah. launched by FCS uh, yeah. and Surfers Not Street Children. Um so on on all uh, all their social media channels, and there'll be a, a video uh, on uh, FCS YouTube, um, which tells this story. So you'll be able to watch it from start to finish and see how it ends as well, yeah. and cool. how we get over two hundred boards to South Africa because mm-hmm. that became a bit of a. They're not going in a board Stumbling bag. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> not on EasyJet or not. <laughs> no. So uh, if you get a chance, um, look up, uh, look it up on social media through FCS or Servers Not Street Children and FCS YouTube channel has the video yeah. embedded there. Yeah. Uh, do you know, it's something I love about, I guess, the world of surfing. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm sure there must be similar stories across other industries and whatever, but... You know, at the heart of it, it could be easy to stand back and look at big business and assume that, you know, they're just out to make profit, just money, 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 money. But but actually, you know, these little stories, these humbling stories of honesty yeah. and helping other people from these big said businesses of giving back, that that is incredible. Like, I'm not sure that's happening across other industries, but I hope it is. But that is such an amazing thing to hear. Yeah, well, I also just want to highlight what the team at Surfers Not Street Children do because this this is all what we've done is it's all for them and what they are doing for these children because as a as a as a charity the the team um their i say business model it's not it's not a business model but it fuses surfing mentorship and care um and they have a dedicated local team of social workers carers lifeguards surf coaches and all the administration uh, staff who have to deal with mm-hmm. you know uh, everything they they rely on donations so um, yeah. they can't they can't um, run without money to support all these social workers and the yeah. children hundreds of children um, going through this charity and they've supported successfully over 2000 kids to date um, and you'd be surprised how little money how far a little bit of money can go. Yeah. For example, 30 quid right. will buy one kid lunch every day for a month, a whole month. Yeah, that's that's nuts, nuts, yeah. 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 So, so um, and they've just started a, a, a drive um, this month, a Christmas um, uh, fundraiser to try and, um, because right now with the way the economy is, they're having a, 
a difficult time just like everybody. So, yeah. Um, but uh, the program, I mean, it, it transforms lives uh, drastically, and and uh, quite an impressive portion of those children uh, who were street kids have um, gone on to become uh, coffee baristas, lifesavers, uh, surf shop staff, restaurateurs. Um, some are even surf coaches and pro surfers, yeah. or now employees of the charity and working yeah. for the charity uh-huh. and doing and putting back in um, the work that was um, given to them. Yeah, um, it's incredible what they do. And surfing is the hook. That's what um, brings these kids back every day. Because mm. without the charity, their other option is street life. And street life, um, most of the time, ends up in gangs or uh, prostitution. Yeah. Um, uh, because those gangs become like a family. But Surf's Not Street Children has become family to a lot of these children. They yeah. and they not only get that draw with surfing because they want to do it every day. Um, the charity supports them in mm-hmm. um, education and um, nutrition. Um, they've got uh, a computer room at their facility and they feed them every day and they've even got beds if these kids can't go home for some particular reason they can stay on site at the facility for a period of time until they're ready to to um, move on yeah Yeah. that's that's just incredible that's That's, yeah so we'll put a link to that on this episode as well so people can click on the link and go straight over to Street Children and find that um I think one final question to ask you, which you seem like a really bloody nice guy. To I be love honest. the guy, yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah. What does surfing mean to you? Oh, gee, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche question, isn't it? Like, yeah. I could just answer the same as you've probably heard before, but I don't know. It's surfing, you know, as you've heard, is pretty much my whole life, but my life revolves around it. Um, you know, I think. Um, Surfing is just uh, a way of life, um, uh, a release at the same time, um, uh, my hobby but passion at the same time. You've got to admit, everyone in the surf industry is such, you know, everyone's good, nice people, like-minded, love what they do, um, passionate about the environment, um, very family-orientated, uh, it's like a gang, isn't it? It's like yeah. you know, yeah. surfers. All, you know, if you're walking through a high street in the middle of the country when there's no beach, you'll spot a surfer and you can give that little nod. Um, and uh, it is like a like a family. Yeah, it's exactly what it's like. Yeah, well, yeah. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Um, if you want to tell anyone where they can find you online, and uh, well. If you want to see my boards, it's at Rochford Surfboards online, um, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, if you want to find Surface Not Street Children, they're also on Facebook and Instagram at Surface Not Street Children, FCS uh, and Gorilla Grip and Soft Tech, all there as well. Get on there and follow. Um, send us a message if you want to ask anything as well. If you've got any questions about boards or fins, um, then yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to take direct messages anytime. Amazing, Brad. Thank you so yeah. much. It's genuinely been a pleasure. It's been really nice chatting to you guys. Thank you. And thanks for that, Brad. What an amazing guy! Like that 
at the end when he started to saying about he's now going through the adoption process it just makes you think you're even you're even nicer you know well i, I have to refer back to the start and i said that he was the nicest man in surfing i, I now wholly agree with you that he's the nicest man on earth him and his partner like that like what a thing to be doing you know there's so many unfortunate people and kids and and everything in the world and to be somebody so busy as well, you know, he's got this like full on career. I mean, I don't know how full on it looks, but you know, he's he's obviously very immersed in what he does and yeah. with a passion for it, which has clearly come across. Yeah. But to still have the the want and love and give, you know, to to do that is is honestly like I take my my hat off to the, yeah. the, the pair of them. Like I think that's op- epic. I'm yeah. just really, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. Nor me. <laughs> it's just, it is, isn't it? It's just like, you know, not even like the the end of it, that bit, yeah. But like, the, as I said at the start, the surfing knowledge alone, and it's, I don't, like, I don't really know what to say about him because he's just like, you know, just saying he's such a nice guy sort of seems a bit of an understatement of like. It does seem an understatement. How much, yeah, how much knowledge he's got, how much. <sighs> how like when he's talking about things you can just see like his brain ticking onto what he's talking about and 50 mm. other things that would go with that and link it all together no I, I get what you're saying because like in most of the moments i i just open my face hole and see what comes out there's no real <laughs> thought process there's nothing working in the background there's not like some family guy cutaway where there's somebody working on some bureau it's yeah. just i open up and go where it goes but you know from you can tell from when you're posing questions or taking a, a direction with conversation that he's, his head's just 10 to the dozen, you yeah. know, getting the answer prepared or multiple answers and yeah. and all that stuff. And yeah, and I just, I don't want to go on about, because I don't know, it sounds like we're, we're almost sponsored by Brad by just talking <laughs> about how nice a bloke he is, but I genuinely can't reiterate it enough. And I spoke to him today at date of recording um, and just got a little update on on their adoption process yeah. i'm really pleased to say that they've officially passed um and they're officially approved as adopters and now they're just waiting for a match oh amazing um, so genuinely wish wish them all the best yeah and, definitely you know everything for the future and for me there's a bit of a personal um element there and I don't want to talk about it too much in the reasons why, or, or I won't talk about it. Um, but I will say that it's just really relevant to part of my upbringing as well. So to see people that are, like I say, so immersed in their life, still yeah. able to give that that time, love, and passion, I, I just I think amazing. Well done, well done to yeah. you guys. And I mean, the guy, like we've spoke before to people, like we've we've had Chris from Logfin Co talking about like you know fins for longboards, and we spoke a bit to Dom about fins. But the guy knows so much about fins, and he could, I literally, we could just go back and just record an an episode. Going right, let's talk about fins, what they do, why they do, where they do oh, it, big time. and you could just go into like even like him to like saying like little movements and stuff like that of the fins, you know? Yeah, totally. And do you know what? As well, I think I reckon I reckon he's a, a secret shredder. Like I don't. Like, I don't he, think there's any he secrets about it. 
No, but he done that that thing like I've already mentioned about being an average surfer because he <laughs> yeah. he referred to himself in our category. He was like, "Oh, I'm just like you guys, <laughs> mate." No, you ain't. <laughs> you, know. yeah. you definitely are not. Yeah. I'm more like I'm more likely to break my leg walking to the surf than actually surfing. Like, I wouldn't even want a T-shirt saying Penetian Super Tubos on it, just in case somehow that T-shirt got connected to a, a rogue set. <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. But I mean, yeah, well, speaking of fins. Yes. And, you know, so we mentioned it at the start. And so we are, I mean, super stoked to announce, and thanks to Brad, that we are going to be working with FCS and collaborating together and bringing you some giveaways, um, which is, oh yeah, really exciting. And, See, if, um, I had my, if I had my little soundboard now, I could be like, ah! You could do, you could do. Ah! But you don't, thankfully, so you don't have to make me sound a twat with a tumbleweed. Yeah. But, um, so what we're going to be doing, we're going to be doing some monthly giveaways um, yes, we are. with FCS products. And... So this is the announcement for the first giveaway, which will be one month. Um, we'll announce the winner as of this recording coming out. So when Brad's episode comes out, so one month later. So that's two episodes later as well for anyone that pays attention. So this episode, if you're listening, has come out now on a Sunday. So we're now going to release on a Sunday evening, uh, around six or eight o'clock Sunday evening, something like that. When you drive wherever you drive on a Sunday night. Yeah, or you can listen to it Sunday night, or you can watch it on YouTube Sunday night, uh, or you can listen to it on your drive to work Monday morning. So this one comes out on the 27th, the Monday the 27th. Going forwards from this, it will be on a Sunday evening. So the month from then, there will actually be two podcasts, and that will be on Sunday the 23rd, St. George's Day. Whatever that is. It's a great day. You should celebrate it this year. Yeah, so... Uh, well, with the rugby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> so, no reference to me at all. Just went straight over my head. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, yeah, so the Sunday the 23rd will be the episode that comes out. And on that one, we will announce the winner. Yeah, and also what we're going to do is um, we're going to release the teaser or the trailer for the episodes probably on a Friday beforehand so you can see what's coming up, get a bit of insight. You can get yourself prepped so you can listen. So what Brad is giving away uh, for this first giveaway with FCS is the FCS2 AM large thruster set, uh, ultra lightweight air core construction uh, fins from FCS, obviously. Um, And these fins have actually got a little bit of relevance at the minute, which I'll come on to in a minute. What these fins are, they're a great all-round fin, which work in most conditions and excel in steeper waves. They are super strong, but also super flexible fins. So these are a set of fins that I would definitely want to get my hands on. They actually, they compare to a traditional glassed on or a fiberglass fin, but with a huge reduction in weight, thanks to they've got this crazy ultralight air core construction and use this weird sort of resin transfer molding process. And that makes it really lightweight, super flexible, and gives that sort of smooth feel. Um, and they look amazing. So that's what we're giving away. What's the relevance? So Chao Chianca, who is from Sacarema, Brazil, right, 22 years old. He has just won the last male 
CT event, which was the Mio Rip Curl uh, Pro in Portugal, right? This dude has never won a CT event before. He took down Kelly Slater in the round of 32. And in the semis, he scored back-to-back excellent scores. In the previous two events, right, which was the Billabong Pipeline and the Hurley Pro at Sunset Beach, he came third as well. So currently, and yes, we're only three events in into the CT, but he's ranked number two in the world at like 22 years old. You know, like I just think that's really impressive. So the relevance is, is in the correlation is that these are the fins that he's been using. They're not the fins. He's been using. They're just <laughs> not giving the away same his fins for, for clarity, because he's now clearly got a lucky set of fins which he wants to drive forward. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're giving away, right? So there's a bit of you know a bit of stuff behind the fin. It's not just so a random set of fins. Basically, if you win these fins, you could be as good as him. Well, you'll be on the CT, won't you? Yeah, like, well, I'm yeah. sure that's got to be in the T's, <laughs> T's and C's somewhere. It's <laughs> got to be. That's, <laughs> that's a really cool giveaway and uh, I, i'm really stoked to to see that and be part of it should we uh also tell people how they're gonna win it yeah so if you want to win it right clearly you have to be following the socials right um if you're listening to this on the podcast what we need you to be doing is following the instagram page and following the youtube page okay or subscribing to the youtube uh, the youtube subscribing to youtube you need to like and tag a friend on this post, both on YouTube and on Instagram. Okay, if you're already subscribing, you're already subscribing, but you still need to comment. Uh, and that helps us grow and that helps us give you more products. So pretty yeah. straightforward. So as a recap, follow us, like the comment on both YouTube and on Instagram, just tagging a friend. Yeah. And yeah. we will announce the winner uh, two episodes after this. Yeah, and um, well, on the YouTube, on the YouTube, you got me at it now. I, I know. YouTube. We said it as a joke, and now it's become the <laughs> it's bloody stuck. thing. <laughs> on the YouTube, I think just um, just comment on the post because you can't always tag people in. On oh no, you YouTube, can't always can you? tag people. Yeah, just comment. Yeah. yeah. So on YouTube, just comment on the YouTube post, and on on this episode, Brad's Brad's episode, just comment on this episode, and you will be in with a chance for winning the FCS twos and tag someone or comment on the instagram both will be taken into account so if you do both you'll get two entries if you do one or the other you'll get one entry and winner will be picked at random with a random name selector selector yes so thank you brad yeah thank thanks, you brad. for opening our world and actually i'll tell you what else we didn't thanks fcs FC, yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) FC, yes, you can. (laughs) Um, We didn't speak about surfers against street children. We didn't speak about that, did we? Which is another part, a massive part of his, uh, but him and Tom Hewitt, um, Mm. he's, you know, he's had stuff to do with it. And, you know, like you said, getting boards and how many boards they've sent over and, like it just goes back to the nicest guy around. It does, and and like I said, you know, when we were speaking, it's it's genuinely it's not a gimmick. This is the thing, and I think it's easy to stand back and just blame corporations and business yeah. and all the problems in the world. And I agree that there is probably businesses, or there is business that use you know charities as their way of 
you know, sort of being like, well, look at what we're doing for everyone, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, in a lot of instances or in some instances, it's probably quite see-through and it's a bit fake and it's more of a look at what we're doing as opposed to we genuinely care. Like, if you don't believe that Brad genuinely cares about these projects, like, you you haven't listened to the episode. Like, that, that is a man who is clearly invested and given back to anything that he seemingly can in a yeah. big way. So I think this... You know, I watched the Surfers Against uh, Surf, Surfers Not Street Children um, episode, which is on YouTube, and we did. We'll put the link on here as well. And yeah. if you're watching on YouTube, it should be overlaid, so you've got an idea of what's going on. But even just the mechanics, did you see? Did you see the video? Have you seen yeah, that yeah. ISO container, yeah. which was brimmers with surfboards and yeah. all the gear to go with it? Like that's yeah. what an incredible thing to open up. It's a bit like you know the gadget show giveaway. Imagine when that turns up at your door, and you're like. Where am I going to put all this? Not that I've ever won that. But I've been in your house. I've been in your house, mate. I think you have won that. I've seen the amount of gadgets that you've got in your house. I can't even argue with that. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, no, I just think it's great. So to see like FCS and all the other people that got involved with it and Ben Skinner and all these people that are able to support and provide something, all the people that provided surfboards or anything to go with it and to give these kids just that opportunity opportunity to get off the street and do something is amazing so i think that's pretty much it for today's show this we've got one more i think that's not been filmed which we're not saying what that is yet and i think everything else is filmed from now on um yeah so uh you get used to seeing these lovely mugs on the youtube yeah, and listen, don't forget the uh, support on Buy Me A Coffee. That's where you're going to find all your discount codes yeah. um, and any of the uh, sort of additional footage that, that we've got, our content that we're creating and pushing out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, <laughs> hope you're enjoying it. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So, till the next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks to sponsors of this show, Surface, that's S-R-F-A-C-E. Head over to Surface Wetsuits and you will get 10% off anything you order by using the discount code UKSurfShow22. And if you want to get uh, 50% off the annual edition of the Adrenaline Athlete Training Program, which is a strength and conditioning program designed specifically um, with surfing in mind, and this is a home program or a gym version of the program, uh, I have used the program for the last year and I swear by it. If you want to use the home edition... Uh, on the Adrenaline Athlete website, use the discount code SURFHOME50. And if you want to use the gym edition, it is SURFGYM50. And that is 50% off the annual membership.